1: Hello and welcome to this podcast from Ideas for Leaders, I am Roddy Miller and I'm very excited to have with us Martin Reeves with, uh, as today's guest. Uh, Martin, as, you, can, as you, you might be able to tell if you're, you're looking at the video of this, uh, is the author of The Imagination Machine, a new book that we shall be discussing uh, over the next 25-30 minutes or so. Uh, But Martin's background is as a senior partner at BCG, the global uh, consulting business, and uh, perhaps better known also as chairman of their think tank, the BCG Henderson Institute. Uh, Martin, uh, welcome to uh, Ideas for Leaders. Thanks for inviting me, Roddy. Um, So perhaps just to, to kick off um can can you explain a little bit of the core concept of the book and 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 why you thought a book around imagination in in a business context was was
0: useful um well i'm a a career business strategist i guess uh, 30 years doing business strategy and um so i have over that time i've done all sorts of strategy and i've been running the, the firm's research on strategy for 15 years and it just struck me that the creative side of strategy um it sort of exists in its own right. There is a, an innovation discipline. There are innovation experts, but uh, I- innovation and imagination integrated with strategy um, was, a, was a sort of a gap um, in the literature and, more importantly, in the in the behaviour of companies. Um, so the idea is to write a handbook on, if you like, the mental or the creative uh, side of strategy. Um, that's one impetus, and um, a second big impetus is. The fact that uh, our, our analysis says that we, we really need renewal, self-renewal more than ever before because of the competitive fade rate, the, the fade rate of excess returns, the fade rate of leadership is now about 10 times greater than it was a couple of decades ago. So it's not a nice to have, it's, it's essential for large companies. And then I guess the other strand is is, is AI. Um, you know, what will AI substitute in in management and in corporations, and where do we need to focus human cognition? So all of that comes together, if you like, as a book that uh, proposes, uh, perhaps audaciously, that uh, we can actually harness imagination systematically, and and we should.
1: Um, fantastic. Well, I, I want to dig into and explore uh, uh, all those themes because they—they you know—they—they they come out clearly, very, very strongly in, in in the book. Um, but I, I mean, just to start at the beginning with that, is it, this concept which um, we've been picking up, I've been picking up, you know, for, for a while, and, and and clearly, I think sort of sits at the foundation of what you're doing. Is this in, in the 19th and 20th centuries we, we were able to gain better production and output from organizations just by by becoming ever more efficient but uh, uh, the 21st century seems to be requiring a a different set of um, abilities from us
0: Um, and imagination is part of that. Yeah so that sentiment is a common sentiment I think the exciting thing for me is that you know we can we can actually quantify that Um, we can we can say how much um because many fashions in management are not based on fundamentals just based upon a a fashion for an idea um but we but we do know that this competitive fade rate has increased massively so we have to uh you know we have to self-renew and um and i think it's you, you what you say about the history of, of of management and strategy being essentially focused on execution for large companies actually it's quite logical because if your fade rate is slow essentially executing repeatedly against yesterday's business model is is a sensible way to do things but not if the decay rate is 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 uh, is, is very fast and uh, so you have to go inside um uh, people's heads and, and tap into this um, actually, uh, on long enough timescales, it's, it's clear this this unique feature of corporations, which is that one of the things that they do is that essentially they turn pie in the sky ideas into, into new realities. They, that's that's the, the title of the book, The Imagination Machine. They, they create um, speculative uh, thoughts of founders and they turn them into uh, into new realities. So it's more important than ever to understand how that process works.
1: I- are there some, I mean, are, are we seeing this fade rate appearing more quickly in, in, in new sectors, the sort of technology sector, or is it sort of fairly standard now across across all, all even the older and heavier industrial ones, which of course are, are less influential than they used to be?
0: Um, well, I think, I think the answer to that question is not surprising, but the degree may be surprising. So um, I think nobody would be surprised to hear that prospective growth Um, which we can measure as something called uh, vitality. We've uh, defined that and we can measure that. Prospective growth as opposed to current performance is extremely heavily driven by technology. It's mainly driven by technology, not just within the technology sector. Um, And uh, so that means that every company is or should be a a, a technology company. And the fade rate is conspicuous in the technology sector because things move very fast, but actually uh, it applies across... uh, Uh, across all sectors, and and so we're seeing two huge phenomena which affect the the very bedrock of strategy, one of them is um, this increase in the fade rate, which essentially means that um, companies need to emphasize. um, Probably as much as they ever did before. Uh, execution, execution is still very important, um, but they need to massively up their emphasis on uh, self disruption uh, and renewal. And then the other thing that is, is very conspicuous from the, um, if you look at the performance of, of public companies over time, is that the competitive spread has increased. In other words, the, the gap between the winners and losers. So uh, that's that's tantamount to saying that the stakes for getting right what I just said, are 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 higher than ever before because um your your uh, the cost of not being a leader uh, is greater and the fade rate if you are a leader is is, is greater hence the need for imagination uh, now one of the things that we uh, we found when we dug into the topic um, is that a lot of the things that we intuitively believe about imagination um, actually come from the Romantic movement about hundred years ago and do the topic a great disservice. So we imagine that um, innovation, uh, imagination is somehow unruly, unmanageable. It's some special gift for a, a small select class of creative individuals. Um, and we perpetuate these myths in um, uh, by telling um, heroic stories about people like Steve Jobs. Um, And and that actually is an obstacle to seeing how we can systematize the process of imagination, which is what the book is about. Now you may object, you know, we can't really know the future, we can't really know the the consequences of things we imagine, it's true, but I would maintain that um, we should aspire to Manage uh, and, and harness imagination as at least as much as other unpredictable aspects of human affairs. So we don't shy away from things like human resource management or consumer psychology. We don't say you couldn't possibly um, harness and be systematic about those things. So uh, why not in relation to the imagination? Uh,
1: but I, presumably, in order to do that, it, it, uh, it's about creating the context and an environment where imagination or the output that that people may have around imagination can thrive flourish or or at least at the very least not be just extinguished which is frequently i I suspect what big organizations have tended to do in the past so so is this something that we should be expecting people to um, do throughout the organization
0: or is it just being need, need to be implemented initially from the from the top. No, I think we need to look at um, all aspects of this, and certainly one of them is the the, the context, the cultural context, um, the tone set by leaders. So we can double click on that one. I think process is also quite important. Uh, there is a uh, there is a somewhat predictable process by which um, uh, you know ideas travel. Uh, from mind to reality in between minds so we need to think about process and we need to think about capabilities because the capabilities that we're talking about here the capabilities of counterfactual thinking and manipulating mental models uh, these are these the things that we probably you know haven't been educated in, certainly not in uh you know, in my education so there are skills um, there are skills to be built and also um uh technology has given us some some new tools uh that we can use to Um, not to replace um, imagination, but to supplement and uh, and enhance imagination. So we need to focus on all of those. But coming back to the context, I mean, context is clearly very important because um, two things which are um, massively corrosive of the ability to um, imagine in a corporate context, one of them is fear, um, which is you you have such a sense of urgency um, that you... um, uh, you, you can't afford to fail or the, the cost of failure is too great. I mean, nobody will take uh, intellectual risks in such an environment. And then the other one, of course, is complacency. You know, success, I'm sure you've spoken about this before, but the you know there's nothing more toxic to success than past success, the complacency that that breeds. And complacency and fear are two things that leaders have a massive influence over. So the context is uh, absolutely important.
1: Um,
0: and I
1: mean, you set out I mean, the book into, into sort of six core chapters um, as a sort of progression th- through that. Um, how um, the, dealing with that complacency, um, where does that co- come in the process? I mean, is that, is that just a sort of foundational element that, that, that's required for, for organizations? Well, and, and it's perennial, presumably.
0: Well, briefly, for your listeners, let me just lay out the six steps, and then I'll, I'll I'll address that directly. So, the essentially, we're interested in um not just imagination, but harnessing imagination, going from uh, you know idea through to exploited idea through to the next idea. So, the the six steps we lay out. The first one is um, surprise, because the neuroscience uh, of, of imagination says that the reason we update our mental models. Um, is because we uh, we see an anomaly, we see something that, that, that doesn't fit. Um, so that's uh, that, that's the first stage. We call that the seduction, the, the the phenomenon that seduces us into being inspired and saying, "Well, I need to recreate my mental model." Now, the second one is um, uh, we, we, the second stage. We call the uh, you know the big idea, which is um, that mental part of imagination where you progress with counterfactual thinking, you progress a mental model. you It's not just a headline, but you elaborate um, a view of the world or a view of how the world could be better or a different way of addressing it with a product. And then the third stage is when um, we call the collision. It's when you collide the idea, which is invisible, with reality, um, sometimes in the form of an experiment or a prototype. Um, uh, But actually, it's validation of the idea is not the only thing that's happening in that step. The other thing that's happening is that you're generating new surprises to further um, trigger reimagination. Then the fourth step is when the imagination becomes social. It's when ideas spread. Ideas that don't spread remain as private fantasies. So ideas spread. And as they spread, they pass through different types of mind, and they also uh, evolve and create a collective new reality and then the fifth stage may sound like the antithesis of imagination but it actually involves a special type of imagination um, and that is creating the new ordinary um that's when the 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 things that were originally intangible ideas become scaled replicable and we take them for granted they become the new ordinary the vacuum cleaner doesn't become a big thing anymore it's just something we have in our in our homes and the the key thing there is codification we have to have an idea which is replicable in different uh, situations and then the last step is probably the hardest and the most valuable which is um, in spite of success because if you 've gotten that far you 've you 've essentially exploited an idea to actually undermine your own success and keep things fluid and um the strategists would call it strategic ambidexterity, which is you self-disrupt and you you create the next thing so where does complacency come into your question fit into those stages well it, it comes in even at the first stage because if you're too comfortable you're not necessarily looking for anomalies and especially if you're a large corporation a corporation i, I think is in somewhat like a sphere the ratio of the surface area to the volume um decreases as the sphere gets bigger more and more Um, just almost by the laws of physics, more and more of the the focus is internal and you're not gonna adapt to, or uh, be inspired by things that you're not even uh, looking at. And if you're complacent on top of that, you probably wouldn't see any need to look for the anomalies and the surprises which trigger imagination. Um, You know, it it applies to the second stage too. if, we, um, if we're very comfortable with our mental model, if we believe our mental models are immutable facts rather than choices, um, we may not even conceive of the possibility of progressing our mental model. If I say, you know, I'm in the, I'm in the consulting industry and I, and I do A, B, and C, and I consider that to be a fact, I may not even uh, imagine the possibility that I would uh, view, uh, view my business in a different way. Um, it, it comes in uh, um, um, experimentation. Um, you know, if one is too complacent about the existing products you're offering and not curious enough about the, the ugly, scrappy, you know, prototypes of the thing, which uh, is a set of unrealized possibilities, then you're always going to bias towards the well-established, um, uh, you know, NPV documented business case of the existing product and so on. So complacency can, can pollute uh, any any step in the process.
1: I mean, it's slightly t- stereotypical, I suppose, but the uh, uh, the idea of, of of a lot of large organization executives is that they become pretty risk averse. So it's not just complacency; it, it it goes back to that that fear concept that you mentioned earlier. Uh-
0: yeah. Well, if we if we tease apart some of the strands of complacency um, or risk aversion, I think one of the, one of them um, um, would be simply um, the implicit assumption that success will perpetuate. And historically, was actually reasonable. Leaders twenty years ago would could reasonably expect to be a leading corporation in ten years hence. Uh, the, yeah. And, and so so that there's, 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 the, there's the sort of unstated assumption of the constancy of the business. It's what I call the baseline fallacy. When you look at something new and you say, well, that doesn't make sense, the numbers don't make sense. You're assuming that the thing that, that did make sense will continue to make sense. But in fact, you're, you may have a fading baseline of attractiveness for your existing offerings. You may have a baseline fallacy. I think another one is um, uh, a sort of measurement fallacy. So if you look at what companies measure, um, um large companies, most of their managerial metrics are of two flavors. One of them is financial outcomes, and the other one is productivity ratios, input-output ratios. And those are excellent um, measures for excellent, back, excellent backward-looking measures for the efficiency um, of the current business model. Um, they don't have very much prospective value. Um, so if you're always looking in the rearview mirror, then uh, you'll be seeing how good things were as opposed to you know how good or bad things yeah. will prospectively be um also of course if you if you are there's this famous uh, adage uh, which is attributed to Drucker, you know what gets measured gets done um you know if you if you're too addicted to measurement measurement of course has its value but if you restrict yourself to the things which are measurable with financial precision uh, then you'll be very intolerant of the early stage ideas and um, one of the um, things we did, we wanted to market the book and communicate the book in an imaginative way so that it's an example of, of what it talks about. So we created something called the Napkin Gallery that people can find online. Um, if you go to uh, the imaginationmachine.org and, and look in the menu, you'll find the Napkin Gallery. The Napkin Gallery is the apocryphal napkins of inventors that sketch their new inventions on the back of napkins where we we collected a a a number of these napkins and we displayed them um, using some art gallery software and the interesting thing is if you look at these first instantiations these first representations in the real world of things that have just come out of the entrepreneur's mind they're uniformly scrappy nothing like the eventual um, thing that we now take for granted uh, the business case was probably horrible. Um, if you consider these things in the context of the prevailing wisdom at the time, probably very few of them were supported um, or made sense. So imagine how how well those things do in an overly financialized environment.
1: Um, but, but, but I mean that begs the question also of, of how many other napkins there are that um, ended up on the on the restroom the I restroom probably- floor.
0: Probably about um, ten times more than the number uh, of successful ones. I mean, depends upon the business, but um, you know, even in the hands of um, you know the legendary Steve Jobs. I mean, his I, I assess his success rate at about nineteen percent, and for right. for most mortals, it's probably much less. So there it's are there are many well, more than is isn't it? So uh, um, uh,
1: right.
0: the um, uh, but but I, I
1: I'm interested in this. I mean, and your your And this whole idea of of putting forward um, imagination as as counterfactual thinking, um, uh, which humans are inherently good at, if given the opportunity. In in fact, you probably see children being far better at it than than adults who we've trained our minds to. Uh, But as we see the rise of AI, um, and, and I know you, you know you talk about this, that, that you know, which we're going to increasingly do mundane tasks. Um, can, can we see AI starting to do counterfactual thinking too? I mean, it, or, or are we going to have a, a head starter that, you know, be ahead of the game on, uh, for them for quite some time? Right.
0: You touched, touched on a number of interesting things there. Um so yes in a way we're talking about um, corporations becoming children children have this wonderful propensity for play and imagination and um uh you know if you have high vitality uh, you see future possibilities um if you're fully adult um in 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 all respects you probably exploit existing possibilities and stop looking for for new ones so we are talking about a, a, a sort of certain type of rejuvenation here and to begin with the beginner's mind, or, or even the the, the the child's mind, um, because um, and this takes. I'm a former biologist. I mean, if you look at the biological function of play, uh, you could say that it is uh, essentially um, de-risk accelerated learning. If you think about um, little boys playing with plastic swords, um, you know they don't um, uh, they don't inj- injure each other in combat, and they can through play they can learn um, they can learn self defense and, and so on. So um play is play is incredibly important and if you think about things that you rarely associate with the idea of a modern corporation you know play play would be one of them um in fact we're more likely to think of almost the opposite of play which is efficiency with rote process no no element of uh, of improvisation so i think that that connection is an important one but coming on to your point about ai um i think you have to distinguish between different types of cognitive operations so the, uh, the mathematician Judea Pearley distinguishes between three types of thinking. One of them is correlative thinking, which essentially is, um, you know, if I buy coffee, what else do I buy? I buy donuts. That's correlative thinking. So, in um, in most um, um, aspects, um, AI is already better than humans in even complex correlative thinking. Uh, like for instance, reading x-rays. X-rays are all unique and they're full of little shadows and they have ambiguity. And one visual sign could mean multiple things. It's very hard. It's a very sort of complex job to be, to become a sort of a, um, a radiological interpreter of, of, of X-rays, but AI is better than humans in many respects. And much of management is correlative thinking. If, if this happens, what else happens? It's coordination, scheduling, etc. Um, the, the second type of thinking he distinguishes is, um, uh, is is causal thinking, which is: Do I buy coffee because I buy donuts, or donuts because I buy coffee? Now, the, there's a quirk in the in the in the, develop, the historical development of statistics that means that we're not very good at um uh, at proving um causality and um and and the mathematics that ai is based on the current uh, gradient descent um deep learning sort of school of, of of ai is also not very good at causality but probably there will be new models that uh, that get there and then we have counterfactual thinking which is thinking about things that are not the case but could be the case. And the caveat is important, but could be the case. Because what, what imagination is not, is it's not the same thing as fantasy or dreaming, because it is grounded in the laws of, of physics and economics. We think of things that are possible that are not actually the case. So how does AI intersect with all of that? I, I would expect that on a reasonable timescale, perhaps within the timescale of our careers, that much routine management will be replaced by AI and the economic incentive to do so is obviously enormous. Causal thinking, we don't yet have the technologies to do that, but I I expect that we we will. Um, But counterfactual thinking almost by definition is not accessible to AI because you can't analyze the data. You can't learn from the the non-existent data for the things that, that, that don't yet exist. But the conclusion we came to um, when we looked at, at the creative applications of, of AI, as you know, there are paintings that have been painted by AI that sell for hundreds of thousands of dollars. So the temptation to believe that the machines are doing something creative there is is high. When we looked at this, our conclusion was that we are very, very far indeed from having um, a general artificial imagination. But we, what we already have is we have some embryonic tools which help us to imagine. And I'll give you a specific example. I just, um, I think last week it was, I I put out a Harvard Business Review piece on the art of um, harnessing anomalies. And it was about how to notice um, unusual customers or unusual usages of your product that suggest new possibilities, what we call poignant anomalies. Well, the old way of doing that is to go out into the field and to do anthropological research on your customers. And that's still valid. But we now have wonderful semantic analysis software and visualization software that enables you to find needles in haystacks of unstructured text data. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and so I actually teamed up with a company called uh, NetBase Quid, a Silicon Valley uh, analytics company that, that that has such a tool uh, to write this uh, HBR article. And we we looked at how you can use these new tools to x-ray more complicated uh, patterns and, and find anomalies. So that's a good example of the tool not imagining, but the tool supporting human imagination.
1: Uh, and you use the word there. It, it's finding patterns, isn't it? That, that's what yes. AI does. Um, and imagination, you know, if we're creating something new, then it's something that, that isn't following a, a standard pattern, presumably. It's, uh, but you know, right. It's, it's more likely up. to be
0: associated with uh, an anomaly uh, or an accident or an analogy. Is this like that? Or... I was trying to do this thing but this other thing happened uh you and i serendipitously have similar color background uh, backgrounds in our on our video today serendipity is a uh, we could pretend that we designed it this way we actually I, I, didn't.
1: You ruined it yeah,
0: yeah I, was, I was hoping that they'd think it was carefully, but, carefully managed um, <laughs> um, but the interesting thing is if you ask um you know what is what is the, the combination of the tool and the human telling us about these these anomalies. Um, It's partly art and it's partly science. So the science part is we can find the anomalies. And we can quiz the anomalies, we can say, well, is this an anomaly that is persistent over time? Is this an anomaly which is increasing over time? Is this an anomaly that we see across a wide variety of situations? Is this an anomaly that is associated with something which, which has economic significance, something that somebody might uh, conceivably pay for? But what, what of course, the, the observation of the anomaly can never tell you is the future possibilities that might stem from this so that's the that's the art part of this the imagination yeah, part of yeah. this
1: um i i mean you you write in the book businesses will need to become much more knowledgeable about and more competent at extracting value from unique processes in human brains which um really chimes with me because i think that's sort of trying to uh Reinvigorate that some of that magic of humanness is uh, is a really valuable thing. But uh, have you seen companies that are peculiarly good at doing this? And and, and, and what is it that they're doing?
0: Um, yes. Well, we, we we focused particularly on um, you know how to do this because we're practitioners, not academics, and we um, and we try to be very tangible by showing um uh, ex- examples and um so i have many examples in the book uh, uh, yeah, and a particularly interesting one i found was the, the the company recruit it's a it's a japanese company it's um it's a services conglomerate um, but interestingly it's a successful repeat business model innovator uh, it constantly moves into new areas and turns uh, sleepy low-growth businesses into leading positions in rejuvenated businesses so it was pretty interesting to see how do they do that and um what we found is that they were extremely good at stage 4 of our framework um maybe the, maybe the best that we'd we'd seen um and, and the, stage 4 is when ideas epidemic. becomes the epidemic they when ideas become social yeah so what they do is um this is um the answer is festivals, um, uh, festivals and heroes for them. So they did a lot of research actually on how do other companies do this? Um, and they they found that the idea of a festival is a key concept. A festival is has got a number of elements. Number one, it's um, egalitarian, which is anybody's invited to the festival. And the other one is that um, whatever's going on at, the, on at the festival is celebrated. Um, well, custo- uh, a large corporation is more likely to um, to celebrate and recognize past success. A big p a thousand people working for you, that it is um, the emerging innovation. Uh, and then the third thing about a, a festival is that everyone can actively participate. And um, so they design, um, they have something called their ring scheme, um, which is um, uh, essentially designed to communicate and to show that anybody not only can, but should, uh, it's everybody's job to uh, to create uh, to, to create uh, new 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 businesses. Um, so actually, they have a hurdle of um, they have no hurdle uh, for creating new business other than that um, somebody wants to do it with you. You have to have a team of at least two people. Um, now, for later stages, uh, for, for 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 more funding, you'll you'll need to show some proof of concept. Um, but essentially, um, they're constantly budding new businesses. And then the other thing they do is they say that the. The association of a particular personality with the new business model uh, is not a bug; it's a feature that essentially. So they would agree with Kahneman that we we don't buy things for purely um, uh, rational economic reasons. Um, we we buy narratives, we buy um, ideas and stories which are packaged to excite and motivate human beings. And a key part of most stories is um, is a heroic figure. And so the, when I first walked into Recruit, they said, "Let me." They said, welcome, let me introduce you to the most important person in the company. I thought they were gonna introduce me to the, um, to the head of finance or the CEO. In fact, they introduced me to somebody called Mr. Yamazaki. Mr. Uh, y- Yamazaki is one of their entrepreneur heroes. So he is greatly celebrated and sincerely celebrated because he created a major new business. I think he created two, in fact. Um, and then I met another entrepreneurial hero and another entrepreneurial hero. And this, this is, these are the people that these companies celebrate. So they are celebrating the future, not the, uh, not the past. And I, I found that very inspiring.
1: Yeah, that, that, is, that is inspiring. And it goes back to that other piece that you were mentioning earlier, which is, you know, that um, this process, it can or certainly the beginning part of this process it, it is scrappy and chaotic, which, which is a sort of entrepreneurial
0: Entrepreneurial and and, and human, you know, I I think um, if you, if you, there's a paradox that if you make the the organization too efficient, um, you actually kill the future of the organization. One, because uh, efficiency, 100% efficiency is uh, is, is probably zero percent uh, innovation uh, because you yeah. the object of uh, efficiency is, is well defined. And the other one is that you probably have a corporation that no human being, with all of our all of our messiness and aspiration, would actually want to work for. Um, so obviously, being messy as an end in its own right is probably a little questionable. Um, but but certainly you can say that imaginative corporations are necessarily messy. They're embracing the uh, the, the the ambiguity uh, of, of, of of new things. Your possibilities. I find that I find that a, find that a, a
1: very positive um, uh, idea. You, if you could see my desk, which luckily you can't, see, uh, the, the
0: hope, suggestion that I well, might maybe, you should, uh, maybe you should maybe you should proudly display the messiness, Roddy. It uh, may motivate the right sort of people. I,
1: I, you see that there's an in, there's an inherent um, something that's stopping me doing that. that, 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 that it might be too messy. That, that, that everything has to fall within a spectrum. Um, but. Uh, no, I mean, I, I think that that's a really exciting place, though, to to, to be, to to be looking at again, you know, how we started the conversation about how organisations can leverage this humanity um, really productively and and positively
0: another wow. another great example of that, and uh, one of my favorites is that is um Lego, so of course you know the plastic bricks yeah um Lego in Danish means legged God, which means to play well, and their product philosophy but also their corporate philosophy is um learning through play um so they it's a company that prizes play um and they're constantly evolving ideas they're originally a carpentry company and they started making wooden toys and then they made plastic bricks and then they made. A huge intellectual breakthrough for them was um, uh, systems of play. You know, reusing the same toys to make things in different combinations. Systems of play, um, and and and, uh, and and films, and uh, corporate games, and um, and theme parks. Um, so they're constantly playing and evolving. And um, you know, something the symbolic of that is um, every year at the end of the year, the the chairman actually formally thanks people. Thanks people for doing what he didn't ask them to do. And it's sort of symbolic in Lego culture because um, it's quite important that people don't just do the things you ask them to do. They don't just follow the plan. They also deviate from the plan and they explore and they play and they and they innovate. So he makes a point of thanking people for doing things that he didn't ask them to do. And do you think from what you're
1: seeing um, of, of organizations that there is an increasing willingness and capacity to to allow that to happen or, or is the idea that you know, leaders executives are there to manage and, and manage sort of inherently means order
0: um well i think i, I think we uh, referring back to something you said earlier I, th- I think we are biased um towards management and coordination we, we call it management um what managers do um, and, and of course it's necessary because as corporations get large um uh, they, they become complex and they they, re, they require some coordination um but um if, if we factor in this this increased fade rate we also need um a counterweight to that which is um self-disruption we need to constantly uh, keep the ideas um in uh, in in motion and we know that um the average company is not imaginative enough. And we know that because we can measure this thing I referred to earlier called vitality, which is the future growth potential of the company with with the the current performance signal stripped out. And what we find is that the potential for future growth declines with age and size. And roughly speaking, for every doubling of size or doubling of age of a company, um, the growth potential decreases by three percentage points. Um, so the, the vitality or the imaginative corporations basically goes like this with, um, with, with, with size and, and, and age. Now the good news is that that is not a law of nature, that's a tendency and the scatter is quite great. Um, so you have um, you know, fast growing and uh, imaginative and innovative companies at all scales and you have sluggish companies at all scales. But one way of thinking about imagination is that it's the tool or the human propensity to defy the gravity of um of of size and age which on average will gradually erode your your growth potential um,
1: uh, and uh, yeah and, and and that but but it, are we seeing that that trajectory change i mean uh, is the uh, is the movement in that
0: um well i think we see the outliers in in either direction um but i think there's uh, i think there's more to do um, i i think um uh, i think if you look at the the literature and if you look at the um you know the speech acts of 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 of, of leaders i think um we're certainly talking about it more but the the analysis yes. of vitality would say that we're not necessarily doing everything that we we talk about you know getting it done is no means trivial self-disrupting the successful company is not a trivial thing and that's another that's another possible framing for what our book is about it's about essentially you know turning around the successful company which is a remarkably hard thing to do
1: um fantastic well martin I, we're we're almost out of time but um so th- clearly what we're, we're wanting people to do is is get the book but but also in order to learn how to disrupt themselves and their organizations and, and 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 create this these these more human organizations in the process um, it, it seems that there are wins on all sorts of sides uh for that but um you mentioned a, a website earlier that, that people can
0: um um well we have a number of uh, resources uh, you know papers and we've got um a video series where we actually um listen firsthand to um to, to to different leaders conceptions of what imagination is and how you harness it and we have the, the napkin gallery and so on um so people can find all of that um on the imaginationmachine.org. um it's all okay. one word the imaginationmachine.org. and um and if they want to order the book they can they'll, they'll find the, the right links There's there too
1: there'll be a link there too fantastic well Martin thank you so much indeed it's a it's a, a fascinating and, and burgeoning area so um, it, it's great to get your your insight and take on it um, thank you very much indeed a pleasure
0: thanks Roddy.